Let us pray. Lord, we are not to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And I pray, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you would somehow take the words of this, the broken words of this preacher, and that you would make them spiritual food, the kind of food that truly nourishes the soul. Lord, give us ears to hear what you would say to us this day. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, uh, a week and a half ago, while uh, all of you were suffering under smoke-filled, ash-laden skies, well, Lynn and I were on the central Oregon coast experiencing very dense fog. <laughs> we thought we had escaped, only to find fog. And it was kind of disappointing, actually, to be at an oceanfront hotel and never see the ocean. <laughs> Except, of course, for the last day when it was time to leave. One morning, uh, we took a walk on the beach, uh, just below the hotel. And uh, we could only see a few yards around us. I mean, it was incredible. We couldn't even see the, the hotel or any building structure at all. And if it were not for the, the sound of the ocean, I think we would have been completely disoriented. Kind of an eerie feeling. Probably at one point in your life, you've experienced really dense fog. It's a bit like life, isn't it? Uh, sometimes a proverbial fog can descend upon our lives and we're not sure where we're headed. We can lose a sense of direction, a sense of purpose, even to the extent we're not really sure who we are anymore or what we're all about. And of course, that can happen in a church as well as in our own personal lives. Everything after a while can become just kind of foggy. Why are we here? What are we about? What are we trying to do? Where are we going? And actually, these are really good questions to ask ourselves all the time. In the next three weeks, I want to dispel whatever fog we may be experiencing as a church and try to bring some clarity and focus as to what we are about. And so I'm going to be lifting up in succession three of our, of our core values that happen to mirror the core values of the new exciting denomination to which we are transitioning, ECO, the Covenant Order of Evangelical Presbyterians. So this morning, we want, I want to begin with core value number one. It reads like this, Jesus-shaped identity. We believe that Jesus Christ must be at the center of our lives and making disciples of Jesus at the core of our ministry. To put it simply, we are all about Jesus. We are a Jesus-centered church. Why are we so excited about Him? Because He is the one who fully reveals God to us. What you think about God matters a great deal. The right understanding of God is critical because everything flows from it. Our attitudes, our thinking, our 
priorities, our choices, our actions, our very identity as a church and as individual believers get it wrong, and we open ourselves to all kinds of forces that are not of God. We end up worshiping idols that become toxic. William Temple, who was an Anglican archbishop in the last century, warns, if your conception of God is radically false, then the more devout you are, the worse it will be for you. You're opening your soul to be molded, shaped by something else. You had much better be an atheist. If our image of God, if our understanding of God is all wrong, the more we give ourselves to it, the more passionate and devoted we are about it, the more it will lead us down the path, the wrong path, a path to certain ruin. We will have worshipped a false god, and we will have missed the very purpose for which we were created. We will have essentially given ourselves over to a lie. Honestly, as Temple says, be better if uh, just be better just be an atheist. So, if it's so critical that we have the right understanding of God, how do we know what is correct, what's right? We believe that God's nature and character has been revealed to us in a person who walked this earth 2,000 years ago. We turn to the founder of our faith, to Jesus. I mean, where else are we going to go? Jesus is like God, to be sure, but perhaps more profoundly, God is like Jesus. If you want to know who God is, then you have to look to Jesus. Now, there's a scene in the, in the Gospel of John, uh, it occurs two years into Jesus' public, public ministry, and one of Jesus' disciples, Philip, comes up to the Lord, and he says, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus answers, Philip, you've been with me this long that you don't know? That to see me is to see the Father? Wow, I kind of blows your mind just thinking about that. Jesus again says, I and the Father are one. I do what my Father does. The only way you and I can have a correct understanding of God is to turn to Jesus. The Apostle Paul says he is the image of the invisible God that is the exact representation of his being. He says, in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Jesus makes God more accessible. Without Jesus, we'd have this vague, nebulous, philosophical God out there, the ground of all being, the architect of the universe or whatever. That kind of God does not inspire anybody. Jesus makes God more accessible. Robert Cole of Harvard University has written extensively about the spiritual life of children. 
And in one study, he asked some fourth graders to draw a picture of God. And one child had taken care to, to draw only the face of God. And when Cole suggested that she might want to add a body, she said, no. And then a pause. I don't think of God except for His face. I mean, when I picture God, it's His face. Well, Jesus being God's only Son is the human face of God. To see Him, to know Him is to see and to know God. We believe in the Trinity, right? God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But Jesus is God in focus for us in a way that we can understand and, and grasp. That's why Jesus is so darn important to us all. We know God only through the second person of the Trinity, through Jesus Christ. He's the center point. He's the alpha and the omega. He is the A to Z of our life, corporately and individually. Listen to the Apostle Paul as he writes to the Colossians of the absolute supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And to me, this is one of the most magnificent passages in the whole Bible, where, he, where Paul writes of Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I mean, that is just an amazing description of who Jesus is. Beautiful, actually. Everything is summed up in Him. He is the center of our faith, and everything we say and do as a church must point to Him as its chief focus and goal. He is the one who shapes our identity, determines our values, and sets the direction of our lives. As a church, therefore, we are all about Jesus. John Stott, uh, who uh, passed away not too long ago, a remarkable Christian leader from the Anglican tradition, a, a pastor, an author, said this. He said, Christianity is Christ. Take Christ from Christianity and you remove the heart from it. There's nothing left. Christ is the center of Christianity. Everything else is peripheral. And then he says, Christ is the classroom, the curriculum, and He is the teacher. In other words, He's the whole deal. The whole deal. Churches should be all about Jesus. And that just seems so basic and so obvious. 
And yet from time immemorial, churches have been losing their focus on Jesus and have been concentrating on other things. There's a story about uh, Leonardo da Vinci who was painting, in the process of painting, you know, The Last Supper, that famous picture, uh, Jesus and the, and the disciples at the table, the upper room. And uh, as he was painting this, uh, Leonardo realized that people were looking over his shoulder and watching him, and he was working on the fruit, and, uh, and, they were wa- and the crowd was watching every stroke. And, and Leonardo got angry, and he just kind of obliterated the fruit that he was working on, and he said, hey, don't look here, look here. Look at Jesus. It's not the fruit. It's so easy for churches to take their eyes off Jesus and focus only on the peripherals. It was happening in Colossae, in Paul's day, a little town, and what is today Western Turkey, many in the Colossian church thought it wasn't enough to put Jesus at the center. Jesus was great, but in addition, he needed to have other spiritual experiences, observe certain rituals, practice certain uh, religious festivals, abstain from food and idols and drink, get initiated into secret knowledge. And what happened then was Jesus was being pushed to the margins. He never, he didn't become important anymore. They focused more about the rituals and the, and the festivals, esoteric knowledge. Jesus was not enough for them. They were focusing on peripherals. That's why Paul had to write to them about the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus. If you have Jesus, church, then you have everything you need. Now, nearby Colossae was another town, bigger town, Laodicea, known for its great wealth, and its citizens enjoyed lavish lifestyles. And that church reflected its general citizenry. It was rich and comfortable. In fact, so comfortable and rich were they that they really didn't need Jesus. So they pushed Jesus, this church pushed Jesus to the margins of their life. And the church is admonished in the book of Revelation, in chapter 3, there, there are various letters to different churches. This one came to Laodicea. Church is admonished. You say, I am rich. You say, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched. And then Jesus is presented as one who is standing outside the church door knocking. Remember? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. I always thought, you know, well, that has to do with the heart. You know, you know Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart and you have to, you know, invite him in. And Well, that's part of it. But really, this is all about a church. This church has left the Lord of the church outside its doors. So you have the weird thing that they're actually worshiping on Sundays, saying, praise the Lord. <laughs> Yet they left Jesus out in the cold. Why is Jesus on the outside? I mean, what gives with that? 
And we could ask that of churches today. I mean, some churches barely mention the name Jesus. Or if they do, it's in the service of some pet cause that they have adopted. So why is Jesus so often left outside the doors of the church? Well, because they tend to major in minors. But more importantly, because the real Jesus is actually really hard to live with. Because Jesus not only comforts the afflicted, but He afflicts the comfortable. He says hard things. I mean, He says things like, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Really? He says, you know, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Wow. And we say, what do you mean I have to love my enemy? I've got to forgive him not only seven times, but 70 times seven. What do you mean? After all that he did to me? No way. You see, a, a Lord that talks like that is just hard to be with. Jesus is Lord is the earliest confession of the church. Jesus is Lord. Three words. But the problem is, you know, lords are hard to live with because they make demands. They demand our all, in fact. I mean, our complete allegiance, our devotion, our obedience. And as Lord, He upsets people's apple carts turns their values on their heads. As Lord, He claims ownership over all, all creation, including you and me. He would be the Lord of our life. But in practice and in our freedom, we would rather be our own Lord. So we end up giving Him lip service. Oh, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, I praise you, I bless you. Only to conveniently ignore what we don't like or what we don't want to do, or find too hard, or what may be contrary to our wishes or to our preconceived ideas. In fact, we tend to make Jesus over into our own image. We tame Him, and we domesticate Him so that He serves our whims and our prejudices. We don't really want Jesus as He really is. That is, we don't want the biblical Jesus. Because then, indeed, we might feel obliged to do what He wants and not what we want. And doing what He wants may be actually very hard or counter to prevailing public opinion. It might be contrary to how we feel. And you know that feelings, people's feelings, is the ultimate arbiter of all truth. It's how I feel. It's not necessarily Jesus for Christians. It's, oh, this is how I feel. Well, sometimes Christ goes against our feelings. Can't always trust our feelings, can we? What if we were to take Jesus' lordship seriously? I mean, really seriously. What would this church look like? What would we be doing? What would we be doing individually if He really was the Lord? 
What would it mean to put Jesus at the center of our lives? I mean, the real Jesus. Jesus, the Jesus that we find in Scripture. Uh, I read about a pastor who was traveling uh, and uh, was, was in India. And uh, kind of on a lark, he thought that maybe he would go to Calcutta and, uh, you know, visit the headquarters of the Missionaries of Charity, which is where Mother Teresa, you know, did her important work uh, serving uh, poor people in the streets of Calcutta. And uh, this was actually while Mother Teresa was alive. And so he, he traveled to Calcutta, knocked on the door of the, of the headquarters here, which is kind of a small structure anyway, and a, and a novice came in her blue and white uh, sari, and uh, and. You know, he just said, hey, I just want to come. I want to see the kind of work that you are doing. And, and uh, <laughs> is it possible by any chance that, that I could meet Mother Teresa? And he figured, oh, she's probably off doing something else. And, uh, but lo and behold, um, he was ushered into a small parlor, and out came this small, frail little woman. And uh, the pastor spent about 20 minutes with her, and it was, it was a thrill of his life, because uh, she was such a, such a saint. In fact, I guess she's on, maybe, is she a saint, or is she on the way to sainthood? I don't know. But anyway, at the end of the time, you know, she, he didn't want to intrude on her time anymore, and, uh, and so as he was leaving, he, he asked her one question. He asked, what advice might you offer to a young preacher and she said, only this, preach Jesus, the real Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and not a Jesus of people's imaginations. Wow. There's a lot of confusion today about who Jesus is and about the nature and the purpose of the church. And the result, many churches are just kind of in a fog in fact, many successful churches have actually lost their way and they're not fulfilling Christ's purpose in the world. They have foggy notions of what they're all about. But C.S. Lewis cuts right through the fog and he says this. This is a great quote that we'll put on the screen. He says, there we go. Nope, not that one. This is a great quote. We've got to have it. There we go. It's easy to think that the church has a lot of different objects, education, building, missions, holding services. But listen to this. The church exists for nothing else but to draw men and women into Christ to make them little Christs. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It's even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. Wow. If the real Jesus, the biblical Jesus, is truly sovereign Lord, if He stands at the center of our church's life, and of our own individual lives, then our identity will be inevitably shaped by Him and will become more and more like Him. We are here to draw other people to Jesus and to make them little Jesuses, little Christs. 
We're here to make disciples. The commission given by the Lord to the church shortly before He ascended to the Father into heaven. Now, a disciple is something like an apprentice who studies and works under a master to learn his trade so that we are here to learn from Jesus, to follow His example and His teachings to the end that we become more like Him in every way, day by day. And that, of course, is a lifelong lifelong process. We're always a work in progress. We'll never graduate from the school of Christ. But the goal is to become like Him, to be a little Christ, so that more and more He lives in us. The goal is to get our own ego out of the way so that we can say with the Apostle Paul, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Again, we are here to draw people to Jesus Christ and to help one another become like Him so that everything we do as a church should have that focus. Our very identity as a church and as individual believers is to be shaped by Him, His character and His teachings. Everything else is just peripheral. Heaven help the church that focuses on all the peripherals. Because you know what happens? The church degenerates into a social club or a social service organization. It's a lot more than that. Our chief concern in this church is to have a Jesus-shaped identity. Again, if we could put that statement on the screen. We believe that Jesus Christ must be at the center of our lives and making disciples of Jesus at the core of our ministry. And the Apostle Paul would heartily agree. He wrote to the Colossians, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. And he goes on to say, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know, Paul was so amazingly focused on the goal, and all of his energies were devoted to accomplish it. And so may that same focus and energy drive us as a church so that we may keep Jesus front and center in all that we do. So then, says Paul, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you've been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Hallelujah. Amen.